Welcome to Do You Ever Wonder? The show that brings you answers to many of the questions that you may have, but with no one to ask. Do You Ever Wonder is hosted by Mike Holtman, CEO of Hallmark Abstract Service, who, like you, has always been deeply curious about a wide variety of topics. Each week, Mike will be with guests who are leaders in their field and who have inspirational stories to tell. So now, sit back and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Mike Haltman, and I am going to be your host for this episode of Do You Ever Wonder? And we're very excited about tonight's episode. We have uh, with us an award-winning registered investment advisor, she is a juggernaut for women's financial literacy. Uh, she's a best-selling author. She's a frequent guest or has been a frequent guest and will be again a frequent guest mm -hmm. national uh, business shows. And critically, she is a fiduciary and she protects her clients' mm -hmm. assets and their best interests. And we'll get into a little bit about what that all means. But please welcome Carrie Carbonaro. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me. Very happy to be here. Fantastic. And, uh, and it is an honor. Uh, Carrie is, uh, is in, the, in the parlance. She's somebody. So <laughs> very happy to have her. So now, one of your focuses is women's financial literacy. Yes. You know, my wife is, uh, you know, she worked in the Citicorp training, pro, uh, sales and trading training program, you know, an MBA, all that. And she's fairly financially literate. But why, why women's financial literacy is there's a lacking, I'm, I'm guessing. There is. It's interesting, because, you know, you think about it, um, women have a lot of strikes against them when it comes to money and financial literacy. First, women make less, you know, because of the pay wage gap. Second, Women save less because they, for a lot of different reasons, sometimes they put others first, sometimes, you know, usually the kids or, you know, not them, not themselves and certainly don't think that saving for retirement is a priority. They invest less because if you think about it, women are much more conservative and they're like, oh, I'm afraid of the stock market. Uh, four, they uh, live longer. So they need more money, not less money. And then five, a lot of times they just don't even plan for it because it's just not on their radar. It's not something like I always say a man wakes up and says, I'm going to hire a financial planner. A woman is in a crisis, usually a death, a disability, a divorce, something major that's bad happening. Um, and then she's like, oh, my God, I guess I need I might need help. And so it's in that moment that she says and then she's like, where do I go? Who do I trust? How do I know? And it's just, it's just a terrible situation. And I don't want any woman to be in that situation to either not know, uh, you know, feel, uh, feel vulnerable, feel not protected. Uh, it's just, to me, I feel like I was put on this earth to have women not be in that position. That's phenomenal that you have a passion and a mission and you're, you're fulfilling it. So now how do you, I know you've written books, you're a best-selling author, but what what's your best method to to reach women and and provide them with some of the tools that at, at some point they're going to 100% need yes so i'm going to keep doing what i'm doing for the rest of my life and i haven't even scratched the surface uh, of what i really want to do with this with this industry there's so many things that i that i plan to do 
Um, and I'm, I'm actually in the process of getting together um, a women's um, uh, mastermind group in the industry to make to tackle the big issues, which is, you know, that the industry was set up by men for men. And how do we make it more female friendly? And how do we match female females who are looking for female advisors? And I mean, and a lot of, you know, even just changing the culture around the language and making it more welcoming, you know, it's it's definitely not like the whitewashing or what they call the pink washing of things where, oh, let's put a pink bow on it and make it female friendly. You know, this is like a lot more work. This is like moving the Titanic. So I will be working on this till, you know, till I'm gone from this earth and hopefully I'm going to be able to fix it. The mastermind is with other registered investment advisors like yourself. Yes. And also um, other people in the industry who can help and, and guide and have the same passion as, as I do, because there's a lot of us that do. Well, I, I told you um, before we started, you know, my first position out of business school, I was a bond analyst at a at a wirehouse in 1984. Right. And there was definitely a much different treatment of men and women. It was uh, well. Guess what? I I don't even know if it's changed that much today. <laughs> it's not. Although, if what went on then went on now, people would be fired a lot quicker. I yeah, think. agree, agree. But you, but you have to also understand, like my industry, um, as a registered investment advisor and as a CFP, it's about an eighty twenty. So it's about eighty percent men, twenty percent women. So there's so few women as it is, and then out of those twenty percent women. There's only a few of those who are actually going out and getting clients. You know, a lot of the women are in teaching positions or support positions or planning positions or like, you know, they call it front of the office versus back of the office type positions. And so it's just it's so sad to me that there's so few women in this field. I think that although I know that when I went to to business school, I got a, uh, an MBA in finance. And yeah, so did I. One place everyone wanted to go was to Wall Street. And I don't know that that's still the case anymore. I, I, I think. I would think the answer is no. I think they probably want to go to tech companies or startups or something way more than Wall Street. So where are the uh, where are the women coming into the business going to be coming from? I think personally they they should be coming from other professions. That's what I think. I think we've got a lot of good opportunities for job changers, you know, um, women who are actually teachers are excellent to go into this profession, I think. Or social workers. People. Right. Yes, yes, yes. I used to be in a networking group with a woman who her practice was focused on, on women, women going through crisis and, you know, empathy. I think you mentioned that before. Yes. You know, you can't put a price tag on empathy. You know, and I no, and you also can't teach it. You either have it or you don't. Correct. So, you know, I, I would imagine that on the scale of empathy, men come come down pretty far. And well, and I, I can't say that about every man, but just in general, you're right. You know, some men are more empathetic than others, but I just think that women are. Um, I always say, like, women are going to care about you as a person, where men are going to care about your money, and there's a difference. <laughs> Well, that is 100% true. I, I, <laughs> I, I have the curse of being very empathetic. So that is, uh, it's hard. 
you know, it's, it's so hard. I mean, I, I lose sleep over a client making the wrong decision because I'm feeling what they're feeling or if they're going through a struggle, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. So, you know, and if they're not listening to me, I, 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 it be, it, you know, it, it makes me feel so sad because I know I'm giving them the, the best advice possible and they just sometimes can't take it. So do you ever fire clients for not? Listening? I have. I have. It's been, it, I have. Or I, clients have fired me for telling them things that they don't want to hear, which is the truth. All right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But it, it's difficult. I know in my business, we have fired some clients who may not do business the way that we think it should be done or who don't want to listen to, you know, what it is that makes perfect sense. So right. difficult, you know, you know, clients are dear, but by right. the same you can't, you know, you can't tolerate people who are just not good people. Right, right. Well, and I'm at the point in my career where I really only want to work with people that I like, and I'm not going to compromise. I, I, I actually said that to a young advisor today, and he was like, wow, you can decide? And I said, yes, you can. You can decide who you want to work with. And I only want to work with people I like. Well, you can definitely, right. So- you know, in the uh, in the realm of networking, you know, you have to, you know, they always say you work with people who you like, you, you know, right. who you trust, but you also have to like them. But you know, I think fledgling or young registered financial advisors, or you know, really in any sales type of business, right, always have that luxury to turn away business, sales. right. Right. Well, I guess you you do when you get to the point of your career where you where you're where you can. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, and you, you pretty much will know when you've reached that point. Yes. You don't have to uh, take the crap that someone's throwing at you. And right. You know, well done. Yeah. Exactly. So let me ask you this. I, I see commercials on TV all the time. I, I, I can picture the guy. I can't remember the company, but their big claim to fame is that they're a fiduciary. Uh, when I took the series seven, although many, those many years ago, I was under the impression that anyone who was handling money was a fiduciary. Oh, you're so wrong. <laughs> and actually, you know what? Everybody probably thinks the same as you. So, well, when you think about it, the fiduciary, well, I guess technically a fiduciary is someone who really gives a crap about the other person's money as opposed to just generating income for themselves. It's actually a little bit more because it is a legal definition, right? And it is um, a fiduciary is somebody who puts the client's needs before their own. And if they don't, they can be sued. So every advice and recommendation that is made to the client is in the client's best interest, not uh, the advisor's best interest and not suitable and not um, which is, you know, the different standard if let's say you were on the broker dealer side of the world. And ironically, I was talking with somebody about this just yesterday, that the broker dealer names who are not fiduciaries are the household names that everybody knows. Correct. So that's the problem. They have brand recognition, except that they're not fiduciaries. Then you go to the other side and they their names you never heard of. The I remember when I started, Lehman Brothers was the the crown jewel, crown jewel of investment firms, and yet they were nothing but brokers. Right. 
You had a book of overcoming objections, and I don't think they were fiduciaries by any stretch, but the people who had accounts at Lehman, and maybe now at Goldman, I don't know, maybe they think that they are getting that kind of treatment. Right, right. I think, honestly, the, the industry is so confusing. It's even confusing if you're in the industry. So I can't imagine if you're outside of the industry, how confusing it is. I actually just wrote an article on this. that's going to come out in the next week or two or so about the difference between a registered investment advisor and a broker dealer and the hats that you wear. And then let's say you're a CFP, which is certified financial planner, which I am an ambassador for the profession appointed by the CFP board to, you know, talk to the media and talk about the profession. And so as a CFP, Rob, that's a very impressive accreditation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I've, I've had that since about 2000 and I think 13 or so. But anyway, um, maybe it was 14. But um, so that if you're a CFP, you are a fiduciary. So so you have so you wear that fiduciary hat. But if I'm a CFP working for a broker dealer, what am I? Am I a fiduciary or am I working for the broker dealer and a non-fiduciary? So they literally say, well, if I'm recommending a product and I'm not getting paid, well, then I'm wearing my other hat and then I switch hats and I go like that. So it's super confusing. Nobody understands that. Even as even if I'm doing it, I don't even know what I'm doing if I'm go if I'm doing that. But I'm not I'm not in that position. I'm on the other side. So it's a lot easier so if I'm already a CFP as a, as a fiduciary and I'm a registered investment advisor as a fiduciary, I don't have to switch hats. I'm always a fiduciary. So let me ask you this. So when I was at the wirehouses, sales credits was the be all and end all. How much did we make in commissions yesterday? And when I was just leaving the industry, the model had gone towards more collecting assets right. than churning commissions correct if you're collecting assets at a at a at a broker dealer and you're just investing that money with either in funds or with uh, money managers are they more of a not that they are a fiduciary but are they wearing a little bit more of the fiduciary hat because they're not solely trying to churn and burn so yes and no and and so so very very good question so you're right. The new term is AUM or assets under management, and it's how you are judged um, in my profession, right? And so, so let's go first on the RIA side. So on the RIA side, if I am charging an assets under management fee, the only money that I get is what the client is paying me, right? I don't get any other money from any other any other thing that how it's being invested. The products are, um, or the the recommendations are, I'm getting paid for my advice and the products are falling out. So now let's go to the other side. And by the way, it's still fiduciary and still, you know, my recommendations hold weight and they're in the best interest of the client. Now let's go to the other side. And now let's say I'm going to do AUM on the broker-dealer side, broker-dealer world. Um, so I now am recommending what they call a wrap fee which is I'm going to get paid a wrap fee on top of whatever I'm recommending. So I have seen um, where, and I'm not going to mention names or anything, but where the client is paying the wrap fee, the client is paying for loaded mutual funds, 
The client is paying for commissions. The client is paying expense ratios on what is recommended. So there is a lot going on here and none of it has to be a fiduciary. Interesting. So you think with all of that loaded together that it would violate, I forget what the rule was on the series. I call it double dipping, by the way. It is double dip. It actually sounds more like triple. I was just going to say it could be triple. Yes, could be triple. But isn't there some um, metric by which you can't charge more on a percentage basis for a transaction? Like, uh, uh, I don't know that rule. Um, I know that um, the SEC is coming down hard on fees. Um, they started first with 401ks with like full disclosure of fees. Um, eventually, they might get to IRAs. Eventually, they might get to brokerage accounts. You know, they can barely handle the 401ks right now. So, you know, it, just just watching that Bernie Madoff thing again on Netflix that just came out, you know, I don't think we can rely on the SEC to take care of us. You know, it's and that's going to get me to my sorry, SEC. I don't come after me, but I'm just saying. But that that actually is my next point that I wanted to bring up is that I have a pet peeve and I have a lot of pet peeves. But one of my largest pet peeves, I'll be watching the business news in the morning and they'll say that, uh, you know, some firm just downgraded AMD. Now, AMD has come in from uh, 196 or so to 60, and now they're downgrading it. Or a, or a company will have a earnings warning, and the day it opens, they, they downgrade it. And right. my pet peeve is the reactiveness versus the proactiveness of Wall Street. Now, right. I don't know if, if registered investment advisors, you don't make, you don't, do you rate stocks, rank stocks? No, no, no. That's totally not our area of expertise at all. Um, you know, we what we will do is we will pick managers or um, um, asset classes, and then and then put everybody in that, and then watch and monitor the asset classes. Sometimes we do active, sometimes we do passive, sometimes we do both. It depends on you know where we are in the cycle and what the client wants, and you know what's more important to them, fees or outperformance and things like that. So it's more of what the client wants and needs, and you know, and then tying it to the financial plan. So you know we're not into picking stocks or evaluating stocks. That's that's like a CFA job, which is, you know, certified um, a CFA versus a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. So uh, people get confused all the time because they they actually think we're the same thing, but it's very, very different skill set. So what's the, I know like I have a bank account. I have my business bank account at X bank and, and Y bank comes and says, you know, we'll give you X, Y, and Z, but moving an account is a pain in the ass. Yes. If I'm a client of a broker dealer and right. they don't give me good advice or they don't, you know, they don't get me out of a stock until it craters, what's the hold? What what keeps people from moving? Is it I think it's a lot of inertia and a lot of fear. That's I, I probably fear number one, inertia number two. That's what I would say. And then also a lot of times people don't people don't know who to trust. People don't know where to find people. I always tell people, go to a CFP or a registered investment advisor just for like a free look. Like have them look at your portfolio and say, how does it look? 
Are there any holes? Is there anything that looks crazy here? What would you do? What would you recommend? Everybody's going to do that for you pretty much for free. Um, Just because to meet the person, see if they can work with them. See, you know, I could tell you in my career, I would say there's maybe one or two times in my entire lifetime where I got a portfolio and I'm like, it's perfect. I wouldn't change anything. But that's a very small percentage. (laughs) Most of the time, there's a lot of holes. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. So would you recommend that women look to work with women? Well, that's my opinion. Um, But a woman has to be wanting that. I think a woman should work with who they want to work with. But I feel like since there's so few women and we care so much, I don't know why a woman would not want to work with a woman. Although I, I, interestingly enough, I did have a client who's a woman refer me to her friend and she said, no, I want to work with a man. Really? And I said, okay. She said, a man can take care of me better. And I said, okay. So those are old line stereotypical. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and, and in my industry also, this is another thing we talk about the women who are in the industry, like, because we are, you know, on the same playing field with the guys, we have to be so much better to even be on this field with them, you know, to use a sports analogy. So we have to be 10 times better just to be on the same field. So take that, take that for what it's worth. Not to age myself, but I remember watching Muriel Siebert on. Oh yes. I remember Muriel too. She was a, she was a tough old cracker. Yes. But uh, she was. Yeah, but again, she she broke the plane, right? She, she did. Woman to own a seat on the on the stock exchange. Yep. yep. Yes, she was. And now, I mean, you've women have come a long way. We have, but we're still really not. We're still not that not that far in finance. In you know, in my opinion, we have, and and just the industry itself is just not female friendly. You know, women do not are not attracted to stocks. They don't want to talk about stocks. We don't talk about our 401ks. You know, we talk about everything else, but we don't talk about money. It's just not it's still a taboo subject. I imagine. Yeah. I mean, I I guess men do talk about it quite a bit. They do. Yeah. So we have the market now has had a little bit of a run into the new year. Yeah. We had three pretty big hiccups over the past 20 years, whether right. it's 2011, 2008, and I guess last year. Yeah. Your biggest role during those down periods is holding your clients' hands? Oh, yes. Behavioral finance is um, a big part of my job and what I do because, you know, people are jumping off the ledge here. You know, when 2008 and last year, You know, I have to do everything to have people not make the bad decisions that will affect them for the rest of their lives. And I'm I'm getting really good at it. I mean, last year I was 100 for 100, 100 percent. I got everybody to listen to me last year. And that was really incredible because there was there's been 2008. That wasn't the case. There was at least three that didn't, you know, um, in 2009, there was a client that called me on like March 15th and she was an emergency room doctor and she was in her forties and she's like, I'm out. And I'm like, I'm not letting you out. And she's like, no, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. 
I can't lose money every single day. And I said, this is your retirement money. I am not letting you go to cash. I am not letting you out. Guess what? That was like the end. 2000, like it was like the next day that we went up from there. And she listened to you. She listened. I mean, I kind of forced her, but she listened. Listen, I I remember I was, uh, when I was a proprietary equity trader, you know, it was always the, you know, the, the retail investor is always wrong. They right. sell at the bottom and they buy at the top. And that's always right. the way it's been. So, all right, last question, because then we have to wrap this up, although it's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. I watched the bond market and the 10-year now is at about a 350. Yeah, yeah. So the smart money in the bonds is telling you that inflation is not a problem. Right. Stock market, even with its run at the beginning of the year, is telling you that recession is an issue. Right. So in the push-pull of, of that scenario, what, what do you think is right? So as you know, none of us can see the future. Mm-hmm. However, the market is a leading indicator. And the market, ha- I think, has already priced in a recession. I, that's what I believe. Don't know if I'm true or not, but that's what I believe. Um, you know, the yield curve is inverted, meaning the short terms are higher than the long term right now. Much less inverted. Um, it's a little bit less inverted, but I mean, you're still getting in the fours on, you know, three months to a year, even up to two years, you're getting in the fours and then you're in the threes longer term. So I also think that with inflation too, you know, they're running it. There was a really good article that Alan, uh, um, Bender wrote, is it Binder or Bender? Um, in, um, Wall Street Journal about, they're looking at the at they're not looking at it on an annualized basis or they're looking at it on an annualized basis rather than looking at it like quarter to quarter and really we're in better shape than we think we are as far as the, the inflation coming down but the the way that they're measuring the numbers i don't i don't know i mean i'm not obviously i'm not i don't work for the fed and you know i'm not an economist but i think it's better than we think it is okay on the inflation side Hey, listen, I have to retire soon. I hope you're right. <laughs> I hope I'm right, too. Yeah, I really do. But so tell people if somebody sees this and says, you know what? I want to talk to Carrie. How do they get in touch with you? I'm super easy to find. Um, you can reach me on uh, you can find me on any social media channel, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, this is my book right here. Um, you, I also have a website, CarrieCarbonaro.com. And then I work currently for a firm called Advisor Capital Management. And you can accept that I'm so new that I'm not even on the website yet. So, but anyway, I'm super easy. Just Google me and you can find me. And my, my, my numbers are out there. My emails are out there. I'm very easy to find. Terrific. Well, hopefully people will see this and reach out. But I would just like to thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. You, uh, your knowledge base is second to none. Thank you. When my daughters are at a point where they have investable money, I will recommend that they come and see you. Good. I'd love to meet them and take care of them. Terrific. Well, thank you. And we'll hopefully we'll see you soon. Yes. Thank you so much. You take care. Thank you for listening to Do You Ever Wonder? 
and we hope that you enjoyed the show. Next week, we will have another terrific guest telling their story. And if there are any specific topics you'd like to hear more about, please don't hesitate to let us know. Our curiosity, like yours, is no bounds. Please subscribe and like and share this episode on your social media. See you next week. Super fun. <laughs>